Your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice. If you're just starting this podcast, go back and listen from episode one. It'll make a lot more sense. This podcast contains frank descriptions of physical violence and human remains. Listener discretion is advised. August 14, 1993. 18-year-old Daniel Green sits in a room in the Robeson County Sheriff's Department in Lumberton, North Carolina. Around the table with him are no fewer than four investigators, two local detectives, a State Bureau of Investigation agent, and someone from the FBI. It's dark outside, but their conversation is just beginning. There's a tape recorder on the table. They turn it on. The time is 21.36 hours. Location is room number three of the uh, Robson County Sheriff's Department. Daniel thinks he's here to be interviewed about some stolen car parts the investigators are looking for. They'd come to his house that evening and asked if he'd be willing to take a ride downtown. Myers here. Um, before we get started, I, I want to, just for the sake of the tape, something that we've already talked about. Um, you voluntarily agreed to come down here to the Sheriff's Department with us, right? Yes. And um, you understand you're not under arrest at this time? Yes. You understand that? Okay, I just want to get that crystal. But right away, the conversation takes a different route into a story Daniel's been watching unfold in the headlines. Daniel, we're going to be uh, talking today about the uh, James Jordan case. Officials say an autopsy revealed Jordan had been shot once in the chest with a 38 caliber handgun. Hope of finding the elder Jordan alive has turned into a burning desire to find his killer. James Jordan father of super celebrity Michael Jordan, found dead only a few weeks ago in a swamp just 45 minutes away. James' face has been everywhere since the body was identified. And according to the news, the cops are looking for who killed him. And that's when Daniel realizes he's not here to talk about car parts. He's here to talk about a murder. From WREL Studios, this is Follow the Truth, the story of the James Jordan murder and the man who says he didn't do it. I'm Amanda Lamb. At WakeMed MyCare 365, we deliver convenience others only talk about every day of the year. Primary care and urgent care under one roof. Multiple locations, virtual visits, walk-in or schedule an appointment online. From annual physicals and routine care to sinus infection, strep, or the flu, we couldn't be more convenient. Learn more about our kind of care and our kind of convenience at wakemed.org. I chose William Peace because of the personalized education it offers, which allows students to truly know their professors, 
it's really possible to make genuine connections with your professors and learn intentionally here and dive deep into what you're passionate about. A 12 to 1 student to faculty ratio is just one of the many reasons students choose William Peace University. Extra attention starts day one for career planning with their Career Services Center. Find out all they have to offer at peace.edu. After James Jordan's body is found in that lonely South Carolina swamp, while the family and the public grieve, investigators from multiple agencies all over the place start scrambling to figure out who is responsible for Jordan's death. We have no reason not to start the homicide investigation here, and that's what we're going to do. The public wants a name, someone to blame. Authorities embark on what will become the biggest case of most of their careers. The whole world is watching. And the only clue they have is the stripped-out candy apple red Lexus. Authorities say the car was discovered by a passerby. This car was a present from Michael Jordan to his dad, and it now sat abandoned in the woods near Fayetteville, North Carolina. It had been stripped, the speakers taken out, the windows smashed, and all four wheels were gone. While interviewing people who live nearby, investigators learn who sold some of those car parts, four local guys. 20-year-old Kenneth Farrier. They admit to dumping the car, but they say, hey, we don't know anything about a body. The foursome is charged with breaking and entering and felonious larceny, charges that could land them in jail for 10 years. In their interviews, they said, look, this car was brought to us. This car was brought to us by a guy named Daniel and some Indian kid. That's Johnson Britt, the former district attorney who prosecuted this case. Daniel wanted us to try to sell the car, and we were going to split the proceeds. The guys who dumped the car described Daniel as a rapper. He had a camcorder, which was unusual back then because they weren't cheap. A couple of them say they made an appearance in a rap video with him and his friend at nearby Fayetteville State University. They weren't sure where Daniel and his friend were now, but they knew the two guys had a connection to Fort Bragg and a guy named David. Fort Bragg is a military base just outside of Fayetteville. And in 1993, one of the soldiers stationed there was David Moore. He is questioned, and he said, my, and he tells him, my brother and his friend Larry brought this car up to my house. David gives investigators a last name for his half-brother Daniel, Green, and a first name for the second guy, Larry. He was with Daniel when they came to show off the fancy sports car. And then he said they open, he opens a trunk. There's a set of golf clubs inside. Has Michael Jordan's name written down the bag. There are other items in there, newspaper clippings about the Bulls winning the NBA championship, picture of Michael on the front page. And he's like, whose car is this? You need to get this stuff away from here. Daniel Green and his buddy Larry are now the prime suspects in James Jordan's murder. Investigators learn that the two teenagers live about 40 minutes away from Fayetteville, closer to South Carolina, where the body was found. He lives outside of Lumberton in a trailer park um, with his mom. Remember the car phone? The one that was mounted in the Lexus that was considered so modern back in 1993? Well, now the call logs investigators got for that phone are starting to make sense. Suddenly, when they start looking at these phone calls again, that these calls are bouncing off of cell towers in 
the Robinson County and in the Lumberton area. They then come to Robinson County. They're trying to find Daniel Green and all they know is a kid named Larry. Investigators are starting to connect the dots. There's a body discovered down in South Carolina, a car found 60 miles away in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And now, smack between the two, investigators have a new location, Lumberton, North Carolina, in the heart of Robeson County, where these two suspects live. And Robeson County, for the first time, is involved in this investigation. Investigators start at the trailer in Robeson County, where Daniel lives with his mom on Back Swamp Road in the middle of farmland. It's Saturday, August 14th. Daniel is home, and investigators say they'd like to talk to him about some stolen car parts. Daniel agrees to go with them to the Robeson County Sheriff's Office for an interview. He isn't under arrest, and so far no one has even mentioned James Jordan's name. He rides with them in the back of an unmarked Ford Thunderbird. The investigators describe Daniel as calm, cooperative. If he knows what's really going on, he doesn't show it. They take him into room number three at the sheriff's department and start recording. Daniel, we're going to be uh, talking today about the uh, James Jordan case. And what I'd like to know is, uh, do I have your permission to record this interview? I need you to say something. Okay. I'd ask that each person identify herself when they ask a question and that everybody speak clearly where they, uh, the girls won't have any problem transcribing the tape, okay? They start out by talking about the car. At this point, Daniel has already admitted he's ridden in the Lexus and even made some phone calls. We were talking about the Lexus 400. Yes. Okay, and, and you told me that you're familiar with that car, right? Yes. What color is it? Burgundy. Burgundy. A reddish burgundy. Yes. All right. And you said that you have driven that car. No, rode in it. Rode in it. And that you made some phone calls in it while you were in it. Yes. Okay. Let me ask you this. How, how was it that you come up with whoever had this car to ride in it? Like, uh, it was weird. And, uh, and I was just walking, and uh, the guy was like, you know, where you going? Daniel tells them this long, complicated story about being approached by a guy he calls Rick at a motel in Roland, North Carolina. He says Rick had the car, and he offered to give him a ride, even though they'd never met before. Well, he just gave me a ride, and we started talking. And he was wanting to get to Highway 74. This whole Rick story, the investigators don't buy it, and they're right not to. Later, Daniel would admit it was a story he and Larry came up with in case they were questioned about why they had the Lexus. You know, I was I was scared. Um, no matter how they would have treated me, I would have been kind of evasive on, and on guard. Daniel admits to lying to the police many times throughout this interrogation. He says he didn't trust the cops. Only a few months earlier, Daniel had been released from prison after questions were raised about the assault charges that landed him there. And now, here he is, dealing with law enforcement again. He doesn't have any faith in the system. Daniel is also trying to protect his best friend, Larry. How, how long have you known Larry? I was years. We went to school together. He's just my best friend. He's just your best friend. When Daniel was in prison on the assault charge, 
Larry was one of the few friends who stayed in touch. He was the only guy, I mean, and I got like two letters from him, you know, when I was in prison. I didn't get any letters from anybody else that were guys. What Daniel doesn't know is that investigators have already tracked Larry down. Within a few hours, he's arrested, not for the Jordan case, but for several other outstanding warrants for robbery. But they stick him in an office just down the hall from Daniel, and a similar conversation begins. The time is 1.55 a.m. on the 15th day of August 1993. The location is the narcotics room of the Robson County Sheriff's Department. Present with me in the room is Larry Martin Demery, spelling his last name D-E-M-E-R-Y. Larry is an Indian male, 18 years of age. Larry, you know why we're here. It's about a red Lexus. Okay? You understand that? Red car. You know, you know anything about that car? Yes. Uh, why don't you tell me, why don't you start from the beginning and tell me everything that you know about that car? Okay. All right, go ahead. First time I ever saw the car, I was at um, Daniel's house. And uh, some some guy named, named Rick, he said he knew him, the one that was driving the car. At first, Larry sticks to the story he and Daniel had prepared. This guy named Rick shows up in the car. They didn't know where it was from. Um, that the car was brought to them by unknown people at Daniel's mother's mobile home. Um, yeah, we went joyriding in it. But then the investigators, who played their cards very close to the vest so far, start to show their hand. Only a little, but it's enough. Let me explain something to you, okay, Larry? Okay. I'm going to be straight up forward and honest with you. Every time you tell us a lie, you're sort of backing yourself into a corner or you're digging a hole for yourself. Uh, if there's anything at all that's going to help you, it's the truth, not a lie. And right now you started out telling me a lie. The officers begin pitting Larry and Daniel against one another, telling each of them the other one has sold him out. Don't let Larry tell on you and you not tell on Larry. I'm going to say he ain't, he ain't doing nothing just like I ain't doing nothing. I tried to tell you before that we've got Daniel down the hall. We've already got a statement from Daniel. Now I tried to tell you that Daniel's putting it on you. You showed up with the car, the body was already in the trunk. He didn't have nothing to do with killing Mr. Joe. It's worth noting at this point, neither Daniel nor Larry has admitted to anything. This is a strategy commonly used by investigators to get someone to talk, to make them flip and point the finger at the other guy. You need to tell me now. Tell me now why I can still help you. You're going to keep right on lying and I ain't going to be able to help you. Tell me the truth. Tell me why Mr. Jordan got hurt. Tell me how you got that car. Tell me. I, don't know. I mean, I've never seen him. Tell me about Larry. This type of situation right here is the most serious situation we're talking about. You know, you're talking about Michael Jordan's car. We know that. We've been knowing that the whole time. You've been knowing it the whole time. And you're sitting over there about to shake out that chair. Now, let me, well, let me explain. Why, why you're scared since you won't explain it right. You're scared because you're not telling us the truth. Now, the truth is going to get you. This goes on all night into the early morning hours of Sunday, August 15th. The conversation shifts back and forth. Neither Larry nor Daniel will change his story. But when investigators begin threatening them with the death penalty, you could say the temperature in the room changes. There's no doubt 
There is no doubt about your involvement in the killing of Mr. Jordan. You're involved. There's no doubt about that. What we're trying to find out right now is to what extent are you involved? What part did you play in it versus what part he played in it? The reality of it was they were both looking at the death penalty for what happened. Former District Attorney Johnson Brett. So to tell them that, that's a technique to try to get them to talk, to loosen them up, to break them. And, I mean, that was an issue more so with Demery than it was with Green because in the Demery interview, Detective Smith from Cumberland County is the one who says on the audio tape, you know, son, this is the death penalty. This is where they stick a needle up your ass and you don't wake up. Unfortunately, we don't have that part of the audio. Only a few hours of each interview was taped, and we don't have all of it. But you get the idea. In the span of a few hours, the conversation has turned from stolen car parts to a high-profile murder investigation and the death penalty. There's an old saying, first one to talk, first one to walk. And in this case, pitting the two against each other eventually works. But neither of these guys is walking. And then as they confront him with certain information, Larry Demery changes what he is telling them and says, this is what happened. When Daniel Green is confronted with similar information, Daniel Green just continues to lie. Daniel never breaks. He continues spinning story after story. At one point, Daniel says they bring him a statement to sign, throwing Larry under the bus. It was a document um, that basically said that I saw Larry you know, kill um, James Jordan, uh, like him doing a robbery. But you didn't see I that. I didn't see that, and I said, I'm not signing that. I'm not signing a document. I'm not signing that. But what you didn't know was they were talking to Larry, and the Larry, they were trying to get Larry to make a deal, too. Well, I mean, they did, get, at some point, get him to, uh, to, to, to do that. Only a few feet down the hall, Larry does sign such a document, selling out his best friend. Larry's statement went like this. He and Daniel were looking for someone to rob when they spotted the Lexus. They saw it had a UNC license plate and figured it must belong to a student who had pulled over to sleep. They stalked the car, getting their nerves up, until finally Daniel told Larry to leave. Larry went back to Daniel's place, and when Daniel showed up a little later in the Lexus, the driver was slumped over the console, already dead. This story would change later on, and to this day, Daniel says none of this is true. He admits to playing a part, which we'll get to down the road, but for now, it's important to know Daniel says he was not even there when James Jordan was killed. After Larry signs his statement, investigators tell Daniel he's no longer free to go. He's under arrest for the murder of James Jordan. He's read his rights, and Daniel Green refuses to say anything else without a lawyer present. The interview is over. More after the break.
Your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice. Career-driven individuals ready to unlock your potential? Discover William Peace University's School of Professional Studies. Our classes are tailored for the working professional. Attend class on your terms with our online sessions and choose from various start dates throughout the year. Dive into a curriculum designed for success. Every class is a stepping stone that takes you closer to your career goals. Take one or more classes. It's in your hands. Elevate your career with William Peace University's School of Professional Studies. Dive deeper at williampeace.info sps. Your journey begins here. State Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Tony Underwood had kept a close eye on the Jordan case since it broke in the news. The SBI comes in on cases where there's a lot of jurisdictions involved. At the time, Tony was the resident special agent in the Robeson County office of the SBI, and he was sure, sooner or later, it would wind up on his desk. That phone call from his boss came at an unexpected time. August 14th was a Saturday, uh, 1993. I remember vividly I was on my way to Raleigh going to a Jimmy Buffett concert. And he said, you said you wanted the Jordan investigation if it came our way. Well, you got it. His supervisor tells Tony to go on and enjoy the Jimmy Buffett concert, but to report back to Robeson County first thing Sunday morning. By then, Larry and Daniel are in custody, and the goal of the investigation has changed. They have their suspects, but they need more evidence. Specifically, they want to find items Larry and Daniel took from James Jordan's car and dumped all over the county. Physical evidence to back Larry's story. Tony says he spends most of Sunday getting up to speed, and it wasn't until that evening when he'd already gone home that the investigation got one of its first big breaks from an unlikely source, Daniel Green himself. Tony gets a call from Hubert Stone, the Robeson County Sheriff at the time. I remember him saying he had received word from the jail staff that Green wanted to, quote, fess up. And he wanted me to be there with him because he said, it's been years and years since I, the sheriff, have done investigations, so I want you here with me if I try to speak with him. Now, Tony doesn't know what to expect. He immediately heads back to downtown Lumberton to the sheriff's office. And within a few minutes, he's in a room with Stone. And then, without any explanation, Daniel is brought in. Hey, how are you? And I think the sheriff said, have you met Tony? And he said, well, are you ready to go? Of course, I didn't know where we were going. And so we ended up getting in the sheriff's vehicle. I got in the back seat. The sheriff got in, was driving. We put Green in the front uh, passenger seat, and we leave. They drive across town. Tony still has no idea what's going on or even where he's going. Daniel is shackled and handcuffed. On the way to wherever they're going, they pass the spot near Highway 74, where Larry had told investigators James Jordan's car was parked when they robbed and shot him. There was a news truck 
at the location where we believe the murder actually occurred. Police believe James Jordan stopped here near the intersection of I-95 and NC-74 to rest during his trip from Wilmington to Charlotte. And I remember Green saying to me, hey, something like, can they get footprints? Which, I mean, why is he asking that? But I'm like, I said, well, Daniel, I don't think they're looking for footprints, but he just, he asked some question like that. Questions? that he thought pointed to Daniel's guilt. The three of them eventually pull up to a house and get out of the car. Daniel leads Stone behind the house while Tony follows. Daniel takes them to a spot in the backyard at the corner of the porch. So he sort of takes his, his flip-flop and he's like, it's right here at, a, at or near the back corner of that building. And he's looking at me, because Sheriff's an older fella, he's looking at me like, I said, what's right here? What are we doing? He's, and Green says, just start digging. Okay. So I lean down and I start with my hand, start sort of moving some of the soil, not really knowing what I'm looking for. While Tony's digging, Daniel's uncle comes out of the house and begins speaking with the sheriff. It's then that Tony learns the house belongs to Daniel's great-grandmother. At some point after this effort to recover something, I found a plastic bag in the soil. What was in it? A, a ring. An NBA ring. It's exactly the kind of evidence they need. Physical evidence tying Daniel to James Jordan. I wasn't prepared to retrieve evidence because I didn't know where we were going. So I didn't have gloves. I didn't have anything. I just sort of picked it up like that on the very tip of it to hold it up, looked at it. The uncle saw it and says to Daniel, Daniel, what is that? And he said, it's Michael Jordan's ring. And he said, why is that in my backyard? And at that point, it's when the sheriff said to me, will you take him back to the car? We start walking back to the car. Green initiates contact with me and says, something along the lines, are they going to give me the death penalty? And what'd you say? I said, probably. I said, but I don't know, Daniel. He said, but I didn't kill him. I said, well, Daniel. I wasn't there, but I know you were. I said, well, who was there? He goes, well, they want me to, I was there. Tony says that even though Daniel was in custody, he wasn't sure if he'd been read his rights. So while Daniel is essentially offering to talk openly about the case with him, Tony doesn't probe too much. What was your impression of him at that point? He was, I mean, he was, he was nervous. Um, but at the same time, he was accused of murder. But he made some, some, some additional comments about, I didn't pull the trigger, I was there, uh, but if you didn't, then who did? He goes, it wasn't me. Insinuating that Larry was the person who shot him. And so, but I didn't push that issue further. But then, Tony says Daniel said something that honestly, I can't get my head around. That they saw him sleep, they saw the man in the car, of course didn't know who he was, they said his head was leaned over. Green said something like, I thought he was already dead, but I guess he was just sleeping. He did make that statement to me. Um, and then he later heard a gunshot, he said. Green said that. Daniel tells me most of what you've just heard Tony Underwood say isn't true. Daniel says he never told Sheriff Stone he wanted to, quote, fess up. He says he never had a conversation with Tony saying he saw James Jordan in the car 
or that only he and Larry were present when James was killed. He says, as he said for 28 years, that he wasn't there. While Tony testified under oath at a pretrial suppression hearing in 1995 about these alleged conversations with Daniel, he didn't testify about them at trial. The jury never heard this. Daniel's attorneys argued at the time that not only did Tony not have a legal right to interrogate their client, but that Tony never recorded these statements in the official investigative report, and therefore they lacked credibility. Only Tony's testimony about recovering the jewelry and looking for other items of evidence was heard by the jury. When Daniel took you to get this ring, what do you think his motivation was at that time? I think he was just trying to cooperate. I, you know, and so I think he felt at that point, he knew Demery had already provided some level of cooperation and he was just trying to do some on his own, trying to better his position, I guess. But he volunteered that, that they had taken some CDs, additional CDs, and had thrown them like Frisbees outside of his house, Green's house. And I think I did ask him, are there any other things in your house? He said, there may be some golf spikes in there that came from Mr. Jordan's golf shoes. They take Daniel back to the jail and get a search warrant for his house where he lived with his mother. They go there the next day on Monday. They turn the house inside out looking for clues. And investigators find a lot more in the house than just some golf spikes. They find a gun, a 38 caliber revolver, the same type of weapon used to kill James Jordan. The gun was inside of a shop bag. You take the top of the motor off the back, it was down inside the container portion of the back. And, um, and that's where it was. And of course, you're investigating a murder mm -hmm. and you find a gun. Sure. That's the first thing you and, think and is, not, could this be the murder weapon? It, it certainly appeared to, to have some nefarious involvement. Why else would you have a gun hidden in a shop back? Authorities say they searched Green's home Monday and found a 38 caliber weapon that may have fired the fatal shot. We, we, we cannot say for sure until it's checked out through the laboratory. It's in the state laboratory this time being checked out, but at this time we're not looking for any other weapon. During the search, Tony notices a VHS tape on a shelf. Something about it catches his eye. The other ones were, you know, sort of store-bought tapes or like movies, things like that, that were, you know, manufactured tapes. This is more like a homemade type video or VHS tape. And so that's why I didn't take all the tapes, but I took that one because it just sort of stood out. Didn't know what was on it at the time. It didn't have any way to play it out there, but it just looked suspicious. Later, when investigators watch the tape, they can't believe what they're seeing. Remember some of the people who stripped Jordan's car? They said Daniel had a camcorder and was filming rap videos when they were together. It turns out this is one of those videos filmed after Jordan went missing. In one part of the video, you see Daniel at home, rapping into the camera. He's wearing a blue, short-sleeved, button-down shirt open over his bare chest you can see a gold chain dangling from his neck. There's a White Sox hat cocked to the side on his head. The camera zooms in on his face and he belts out the words. 
And the words, well, they're not very palatable, especially given the situation. They're about killing someone, shooting someone in the head. He's freestyling, making up his own lyrics as he raps over a Cypress Hill song. But what makes this video so damning for Daniel isn't just what he's saying, but what he's wearing. Johnson Britt describes when analysts at the SBI crime lab see the tape for the first time. They watch it in their entirety in astonishment. As they're watching it in close-ups, they see what appears to be Mr. Jordan's watch and ring. The ring. The NBA ring investigators found buried like treasure in Daniel's great-grandmother's backyard. This VHS tape, it completes the image investigators have of Daniel, a murderer so callous and uncaring that he makes a rap video about shooting someone while wearing his victim's jewelry. Finally, the public gets the news it's been waiting for. The authorities announce that they have found James Jordan's killers. The name of the two people that are charged are Larry Martin Demery. The other one is Daniel Andre Green. Soon after the arrests go public, the media and the world get their first look at the accused as they're walked to the courthouse in shackles, surrounded by a sea of deputies and cameras. It seemed like most of Robeson County showed up for the first appearance. Many people just wanted to look. Others were concerned that justice be done. In the footage, Daniel's in front, wearing a multicolor collared shirt. His head is held high. His face is stoic, serious. His eyes cast downward. Larry has a leather Harley Davidson ball cap on. His brown hair peeks out from beneath it. He also stares at the ground. There are no less than 10 officers surrounding Daniel and Larry in a tight circle, as if they might make a break for it. This kind of a walk down with two suspects next to one another, it's not the way things are usually done. And right up front, there's Sheriff Hubert Stone leading the charge. The sheriff, uh, Sheriff Stone, did that for effect, uh, and he walked them too. It was a slow walk around the entire Robeson County Courthouse. Mark Roberts was a reporter back then, and he was there covering the case for WREL TV. First impression, it looked to me like uh, Daniel Green was kind of in charge. Larry Demery looked like a scared little kid, and Daniel Green almost looked like to me like he was, uh, here's my 10 minutes of fame or something. Cameras flash, and reporters lean in with questions. Daniel, anything you want to say to the Jordan family? Anything you have to say to the Jordan family at all? I didn't kill him. On the next episode of Follow the Truth. When Michael and the Bulls won their first world championship in 1991, there was Dad. They were as close as any father and son could hope to be. We dig into James Jordan's life and past. This is the father of the most famous athlete on the planet. And on his 57th birthday, he was an unidentified dead man in the swamp in the middle of nowhere. Michael's security team started their own investigation. They did not report him missing. And that's one of those unanswered questions that I think gives a lot of people pause in trying to, to figure out how 
uh, a man so beloved by his family, a man with so many children, would let him be missing for more than three weeks without reporting to authorities that he was missing. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Follow the Truth is written by me, Amanda Lamb, and Cliff Bumgarner. Cliff also produces the show. Shelley Leslie is our executive producer. The show is edited and mixed by Wilson Sayre. Our production manager is Anita Normanly. Original music is by George Hodge and Lee Rosevere. Audio repair help by Isaac Rodriguez. Additional reporting by Clay Johnson, Jay Jennings, and the many other WRAL-TV journalists whose coverage you hear throughout the story. The show is represented by Melinda Morrisononi and Legacy Talent Entertainment with branding and digital marketing by Capital B Creative. Special thanks to Dave Beesing. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Your heart, it's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.